Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we are doing part two of our discussion on Death on the Nile. We are going to talk about the more problematic themes that occur through the novel itself and also its comparison with the film. So if you haven't listened to our first half of this, I do suggest you go back and listen to it because it is fascinating and gives more of the historical basis that will be needed for the themes especially. And again, there will be massive spoilers for both the book and the movie in this one especially. If you don't want that ruined for you, I would pause and read the book first and then come back to these later because they'll still be up for a long time to come. For sure. We'll get started with the themes. So one of the major things that stood out to me while rereading the novel, and I'm sure it did at when I first read it, but was just the casual racism mm-hmm. that goes throughout the entire novel. And the basis of it is pretty much in the Western ideology of the East as the other. So Egypt is used for many of the characters as an escape because it is a tourist place. They're removed from the original context in their everyday lives. So many of the characters express the idea of Egypt being a magical land where they see lazy golden sands and often they feel that they know the place better than the people who actually live there. Right. Even though they're just tourists. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And this can really be seen when they're at the various temples and certain characters just completely ignore their guide, Mm -hmm. who is an Egyptian person that's leading them through the temples and explaining the historical significance of different carvings and hieroglyphics and sculptures and reliefs. I forget which character it is, but... They specifically are like, I wish this other character was here so they could explain it to me. <laughs> and it's like, that's not how it works. Yeah, no, no. They probably don't know any more than you do in reality. No. Where the tour guide, obviously, that's their own personal history. So they have more of an authority. But the white and European characters just dismiss it. Yeah, we see, I feel like we see a lot of that, that sense of tourism as such a surface level and like them treating it very much like as a vacation resort Mm -hmm. that because this is just the part of the empire that happens to be nice and summery and warm, it's like a vacation more than like, they they care more about that than the history. Like Mm -hmm. you see them, a lot of them, I think it's Mrs. Mrs. Van Schuler just sleeps through. She like doesn't even want to get off the boat for most of this. So you're like, okay, she's just touring the boat. She's (laughs) not really... Going, she doesn't go to the pyramids, and it reminds me personally when, when I was first in college and first got to go to Europe, a friend and I went on like a big tour group, mm-hmm. and half of the tour group would leap through the mornings where we would go and do stuff, and I'm like, that's not the point. Like we were the nerds that were up at seven a.m. on that bus, yeah. like going to whatever museum we were going to that day, and it's one of those where I think it's still such a prevalent thing we see is that tourism for the sake of like looking at the other and like just mm-hmm. having fun rather than respecting that culture and wanting to understand it. Yeah. And then another thing that's a bit more minor, but still very prominent is Christy tends to give all of the characters that are European names and backgrounds where essentially none of the Egyptian characters have names. Right. It's just like, oh, the captain. In the movie, he does have a name. Oh, yeah. Um, But in the book, he doesn't have a name. None of the characters they interact with in terms of the Egyptians 
that are the servants on the boat, like they don't have names and they're often dismissed by the European characters. And then there's just kind of descriptions of children as like flies swarming. Oh uh, yeah. When they're trying to like sell yeah. them the bracelets and do all that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's very awful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From there, the characters, especially Ferguson, that often express anti-colonial, anti-idealization like of the East, and more of these people are just people, yes. and they deserve our respect, are often brushed aside and criticized and kind of depicted in a way that makes them seem like the unsavory sort. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, he he gets kind of depicted, I think, as a, like, laughable, like, communist, socialist, whatever you want to call that. Mm -hmm. Like, he's very, like, everyone laughs off his perspectives. I mean, admittedly, some of them are extreme. He's like, let's kill. He's kind of like the 1930s equivalent of Eat the Rich, um, Um, which is, like, uh, just, it's a lot, I think, for most of these characters. Like, they need a toe in the water of treating the other people as humans first. Ferguson is, he's, he's too good. <laughs> Sometimes maybe he's not so good. Yeah, it's like to the point where it kind of starts folding back in. And there's a lot of criticism of him doing, I forget what the technical term is called, but it's idealization, like the other is more perfect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they can't really do anything wrong. Right. And instead of an even playing field across right. the board. Um, and then there is... A discussion at towards the end of the book when all of the murders happen mm-hmm. and the one character i believe it's maria i i did i don't have this marked down so i'm just kind of going from memory <laughs> yeah um where she's very distraught by all of the deaths that have taken place mm-hmm. because at this point i think there's either just the three or all five deaths that occur in the novel and she's very distraught and another character i forget which one it's just kind of like it's just an everyday thing here which isn't good that's not no no. i know (laughs) they do that too where they talk a lot about like we need to get back to civilization like back Mm -hmm. when when simon's first injured and they're like oh the doctor's like i just can't wait to get him back to the civilized world to fix him and it's like i feel like that all goes back to the concept of like the the them versus us mm-hmm. dynamic that right. really is the basis for all of it. Well, but you and also then, see it as like a multi-level of us versus yeah. them because it's there's this othering of the Egyptian people, but then regularly throughout the book you see this British treatment of Europeans as other. Mm-hmm. Like they're constantly saying things like Italians are hot-headed at one point and then they make comments about they call Louise the maid because she's French. They call her like a French floozy or something at one point yeah and they say like really demeaning things about other europeans but then all together they create an us versus the them of the egyptians mm-hmm. and it's fascinating yeah it's multi-leveled and yes it's interesting from our perspective today reading mm-hmm. it now yes yeah because mm-hmm. you kind of get the sense that you understand that it's inherent to the culture of the 1930s right but at the same time, you're like, this isn't good. Yes, right, <laughs> exactly. And it's it's tied up in so much history of, like, the British Empire and the sense of Britain as not only having this empire across the world, like, the sun never sets on the British Empire, yeah. but then also this idea of Britain still <clears throat> being separated from the rest of Europe and still looking down at the rest of Europe. And I think that is an interesting thing of reading, like, a British-style detective novel is, like, how you see that play mm-hmm. out. 
Oh, and the Americans. We forgot to mention that. Oh, there yeah. are some Americans yeah. in there. Wow. We're irrelevant. They also don't like the Americans. Either. Yeah, no. But then it's funny because they also idealize them because they mm-hmm. say something at one point. They ask Cornelia or, or Miss Van Schuler where they're like, don't you value freedom over there? And it's like, yep, that's all we are. Freedom. <laughs> but yes, you, yeah. you put it well in terms of it's a product of the time and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The product of the time and the us versus them mentality. Yes, for sure. And then we also have, in addition to all of this, we have the classism, Mm -hmm. which I think plays into the us versus them of like Britons versus the European continent characters and the American characters all in this classist kind of structure. Yeah, there's like that intersectionality, which often refers to like race and gender, but Mm -hmm. also in this case includes like social class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And this is most notably seen with Mrs. Van Schuler and her changing attitude at the idea of Cornelia marrying Ferguson when she finds out that he is a lord in reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because at first she's like, absolutely not. Like, you're just an awful human being. And then she finds out he's a lord and has all this money. And she's like, but maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it, it's one of those. I, I like Cornelia a lot. And I think the funny part is that she's the character they remove in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, she's not there. But she still rejects him, even when she finds out he's a lord and all that. Because she's like, you're just not a good person. And you're not reliable. And I don't like you. And I'm like, at least she's looking at him as a person, whereas her aunt... Cousin, no cousin her cousin is looking at him as like based on his class mm-hmm. and he cracks me up at one point because for us on page 110 at the bottom he's talking at one point um to poirot about like what they do for a living and um he says a man who works with his hands and isn't ashamed of it not one of your dressed up foppish good for nothings and i'm like oh foppish good for nothing <laughs> is such a fascinating turn of phrase and I love it. And he talks to Poirot about it. And we see even for being the outsider as the detective, Poirot is like brought into it. Cause then he asks Poirot what he does. He's like, what do you even do for a living? Mm-hmm. Nothing at all. I bet, bet you call yourself a middleman. And then Poirot says, I'm a detective. I am a king. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, Poirot's getting in on that debate now too, because he, he is in a lot of ways, like mm-hmm. being a detective, he still has a job. He's not one of those who do, who's above work, but he still is part of that upper echelon and associates with the upper echelon of society, like the Lynettes of the world yeah. that we're seeing here, which is really interesting. And speaking of Lynette, I feel like it's interesting because everyone kind of just wanted to marry her for her money. Oh yeah. She's and, not a person. Uh, <laughs> She's a big sack of money. That's all they treat her as. (laughs) It really is. Because you have Simon, you have Lord Wittlesham. Like, both of them are just like, but she has money, though. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the only one that kind of sees her as a person is... Is it Jackie? Yeah, it's Jackie! I was going to say Jackie, because she even says, she's like, she was my friend. I liked her. I just loved Simon, and I did what he wanted. I was like, Wow. Poor, poor Jackie. Yeah. And Jackie's the only one that saw her as a person, which yeah. is kind of ironic in a way that she's the one that comes up with a plan to kill her. I know. For right? the money. Yeah. Well, and that's the sad part is like we see, and this is where I'm curious your opinion is we see, mm-hmm. particularly in the first few chapters, and then they bring it back at the end that Christy frames this as like very poor Lynette. Like, oh, mm-hmm. it stinks to be rich because no, you can never trust anyone. No one will ever really love you. And like these things where we're like, we feel bad for her. Mm-hmm. But then I'm also intrigued by the fact that like 
she is the victim in this case and anyone who is less money than her is automatically becomes a target of like are they going to do they want what she has are they just jealous are they trying to steal her money do they want to kill her two different ways of looking at it in the movie everyone that's on the boat with them is part of her wedding party Mm -hmm. so it it's one of those things where i'm like maybe i should just cut off your family yeah (laughs) like i know no one's seen like you don't feel safe with any of them why are you inviting them here yes what are you doing right exactly and then but in the book they all seem to not have any clue who each other is they know lynette by reputation from like the tabloids and newspapers and i don't think the majority of them there were on that boat in the book because they wanted a piece of her Mm -hmm. necessarily right like yes um who is it tim allerton oh allerton yeah Yeah. so you like tim allerton wanted her jewelry he -hmm. didn't want like her and he didn't want to like weasel his way in to get all of her money right he was just a jewelry thief and that's what he wanted yeah and then pendleton just was covering himself yeah and i mean only people that really want a piece of her money i feel like in the book are just simon and jackie where the movie it's potentially everyone Mm -hmm. yes i think i would i would pull the analysis card here of in the modern like in that movie that's being made in like Actually, I think they said it was filmed in 2019 because mm-hmm. um, it was like one of the last pre-pandemic movies yeah. um, that just got released. And it's interesting to me that like I think the movie depicts it much more like <clears throat> the modern celebrity culture we have. Yeah, like we see much more. It's like that idea of like when we retell stories, they're shaped by the current context. Like mm-hmm. I love the newest Little Women movie; it's so good. But it's interesting to see how like the feminism is highlighted way more than it was in the original mm-hmm. because of the time period we're telling it in. So I think in this context, the idea that Lynette has this posse of people that were like they're barely acquaintances. Why are they even going on her honeymoon with her? is very much like that idea we have of like superficial friends and Mm -hmm. the way that the modern world has sort of led us to this place for rich people and i think that's the interesting part we see is like everyone does want a piece of these Mm -hmm. celebrities and figures in the modern day so it's kind of like framing her in that light and that's interesting to me because the funny thing about okay this is another funny thing about how the movie is framed that i i thought was fascinatingly different is the double suicide at the end of the book like that fascinated me that because i saw the movie first Mm -hmm. that at the end of the movie it's like oh too bad they like get arrested but in the book it's like jackie and and simon literally like they literally die and i'm like that's fascinating in the movie too do they yeah wait they die (laughs) when do they die they die like so in the book they're like walking out and then jackie shoots him and then shoots herself yeah in the movie, they're at the bar when um, Perot is like, this is how everything went down. And Jackie has a gun and tries to shoot Perot. And then Perot pulls a gun on her. And then um, Salome yeah, pulls yeah. a gun on them, too. So it's... Take that back. Take that whole part back. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. And then Jackie shoots herself through Simon. That's it. I forgot that happened. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't remember that. I was like, I just, I just distinctly remembered how weird it was. It was like the last two pages of the book that they died. Like she just killed them both. Um, no, so I they take also that died. I take that back. So interestingly then to me is the idea that in the movie and the book, 
Jackie's the one who kills both of them. And she's the one who has the agency throughout. Mm -hmm. And that's where, I guess, the theme of, like, feminism and gender roles is interesting to me. Because in the book, there's a lot of commentary um, on the fact that Simon doesn't like forward women. Like, Mm -hmm. he doesn't like women who are too manly and who don't. But then he also does that thing that he gets called out on where he's like, well, why can't Jackie just be sensible and stop following us? And it's like, well, she, he wants her to have all of the virtues of men that he wants her to have when he wants her to have Mm -hmm. them. But then he also expects a level of femininity from her. Mm -hmm. And then that's interesting because they bring it back and they're like, no, no, it wasn't Jackie. He was talking about the whole time. It was Lynette. It's why he hated her. So I'm just intrigued by this way of like, what does it mean to be feminine? And how the men assume it in the book and movie. I think it also goes back to just the role that women played in society in mm-hmm. the 30s. Right. Because you're just getting out of World War One, So the women were in the workforce and out of the home and working. And then after the war, men come back. They go back to their jobs women are back in the home yeah for the most part i mean there are definitely women that were still working and it's not across the board but as a general overview that tends to be what happened in that interwar period it's also like women got more of a voice yeah in society in general right so you have kind of lynette who i feel like represents more of like the modern businesswoman. She reads all oh, of her yeah. contracts. She has everything squared away. She knows exactly what she has, exactly what power she has. And in the book, it's also interesting to note that she technically isn't possession of any of her fortune yet because she hasn't come of age to right. 21 years of age. Right. But because she married Simon, that triggered the finances to go to her, which is why Pendleton appears because he was speculating with her money. Right. But then you have Jackie, who is kind of the archetype, like lover spurned Mm -hmm. women only exist to have relationships type of role. Yes. And I feel like it's very, the extremes of both sides. Yeah. But it's the two main depictions of women that I feel like you see Often, And it's interesting to add to your point about Lynette is that she buys that estate. Like she buys out the estate um, from, I can't even remember. It's like a wealthy gentleman who basically like loses it all and like mm-hmm. has to sell his estate off to her. And that's why she doesn't want to marry Windlesham is because he's wealthy and has a st- an estate too. And she would either have to sell it off or they wouldn't get to live there. Mm-hmm. Like she has her, as they say with the symbolism, she's a queen of her own kingdom and she won't give that up. And that's something that's very threatening to men like Simon. Um, But then the interesting part is, like you said, Jackie cares and puts him above all else. Like, yeah, Yeah. we said it's so sad because she's the only person that really cares about Lynette, but she still is like, but I love Simon. So I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make him happy and make him want to be with me. Yeah. Even if it means killing my friend for her money so that he is happy enough with me, which honey, oh my God, (laughs) if he needs the money, he's not happy enough with you. He is a jerk. (laughs) Anyway. Um, but the cool thing about her is she still subverts it because Mm -hmm. for all that she's still the lover type, she is behind all of this. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating that she has the initiative and they say that she would not have killed Lynette cold the way that he did. Like Simon shoots her in the head while she's sleeping and they're like, Jackie wouldn't do that. Jackie has way more initiative. Yeah. I feel like you see that in the murders that Jackie actually does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's very straightforward. It's like when 
Rosalie in the book, and then when um, Book in the film are going to say that they saw her, mm-hmm. it's like instant. She's just like, well, they're gone now. Yep. <laughs> and <laughs> yep, dead. <laughs> it's over. And she very much is also the role of covering everyone's tracks, making up everything, the mastermind before the whole thing, and essentially is the one that's driving the plot. Yeah. Where Lynette is framed as the main character and the person you're supposed to focus on, it's really Jackie. Yeah, she's a power feminine right there. I love that. It's fascinating. And you do feel for her. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like she is a character that I felt for. And But it's interesting because they all frame it. I feel like they all underestimate her. Everyone mm-hmm. the whole book calls her, like, the poor girl the whole time. And I'm like, but I like her because she's, like, a tough lady. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> she's the criminal mastermind. That's what I like her yeah. for. But, yeah, all of the high society mm-hmm. people are like, oh, this poor girl. Which goes back to the classism. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. Which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Oh. But yeah, good. It is. It was a really good read and watch. I think mm-hmm. it was It was interesting, particularly to compare the two and to see those differences, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I, I do have to say I felt that the film was a bit too long. Yeah. There was a lot of buildup in the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like Perot's love story, what Salome, wasn't necessarily necessary. Yeah. No. I think it's because they're trying to develop the arc of him because this yeah. is the sequel to Murder on the Orient Express. So yeah, I think they introduced <clears throat> a lot more of that like background building, like the thing with his mustache and all of mm-hmm. that, because they're trying to build a series and make us care about Poirot in the long run. But I feel like they don't need to. <laughs> I know, exactly. I feel like if he just did his thing in the movie and did it well, we would care about him anyway. Mm-hmm. But I agree. I spent the whole first part of the movie like waiting for it, being like, when's the murder? Where's the murder? There's no death yet. Where is it? Yeah. I, who, where's it coming? Uh, and then there's a lot of murder all mm-hmm. at once. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where I feel like the book, you need the backstories because it's everyone who seems to have no relation to each other, but Mm -hmm. you can piece it together from the first half and backstories in the novel itself. Yes. So I feel like the novel needs the backstories of each character where the film, I wish they would have focused more on just all these random people all together on Mm -hmm. this boat feel. Yes, exactly. Rather than a wedding party. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I think that's it that I have. Is there anything else that you have? No, I think that that was about it. I think that was a fun ride. And we, I don't know about you, but yeah. I just feel like I didn't know who done it that first time I experienced it. And it was, no. it was at least a fun <laughs> reveal. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. Yeah. I feel like the concept of him running it in the movie, they didn't have him run in his socks. And that made me sad. <laughs> yeah. Cause in the book, he takes off his shoes and darts down the hallway yeah. to go kill Lynette and then come back. And I just really want to see him like, hurriedly trying to tie shoes in like yeah <laughs> i think that would have been fun movies we need detective movies specifically we need more of those really fun little details of like how the heck did this man run in his little stockinged feet and then come back and tie yeah. his shoes you gotta answer that question kenneth branagh you left us waiting please you left us wondering <laughs> well um the next book discussion we are having will be on so you've been publicly shamed by john ronson mm. And that will be sometime in the fall. So pick that up now if you want to read it. Um, I'll make another announcement when we know the exact date. Yeah, but if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, anything at all, please email me at aloney at albright.org. 
that is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org, or call the library at 570-348-3000. Thank you. Thanks.